Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. ACAST recommends podcasts we love. Hello, I'm Dave Moore. And I'm Neil Delamere. And we want to let you know season three of our podcast, Why Would You Tell Me That, is out now. Each week, one of us introduces some unusual facts, and with the help of a genuine expert, we explain why they are so intriguing to us. It could be about anything like how you shower in the coldest town on earth. How would a 900-year-old ATM work? And can Formula One save the planet? We just have to justify one thing. Why would you tell me that? Why would you tell me that? Every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Well, the cold is setting in in my neck of the woods. We had our first real snowfall of the season this week, and it got me to thinking. You know what this dusting of heinous white powder on the ground puts me in the mood for? Murderous holiday stories. Something nice and bloody, or dark and grim. Something to really put a wintry chill on that warm, festive spirit. So, throw a guy a bone, would you? Literal or figurative. And send us some creepy holiday cheer. TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions. And that goes for submissions of any kind, not just holiday horror. Anything horrible, dark, and devilish. Under 10,000 words, of course. We want it. Whether you're an established writer or just starting out, we'd love to hear from you. Again, TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions. You'll find everything you need to know about what we want, what we don't, and how to send your macabre masterpiece our way. Speaking of macabre masterpieces, special thanks goes out this week to the incredible Matt Lawson and Amanda Gottfried two new patrons whose exceptional generosity helps nourish this beast we call Tales to Terrify. We cannot thank you enough. Now, I think it's time we let this beast howl. Our first story for the evening comes from Riley O'Dell. 
Riley O'Dell writes horror, humor, and bizarro that explores the absurdity of the human condition. He has had work published in various small press anthologies, as well as the No Sleep podcast, and has twice been a recipient of an honorable mention in Writers of the Future. He lives in Fort Collins, Colorado with his fiancée and a pigeon named Ares. More information can be found at RileyOdellWriter.com and Facebook.com slash RileyOdellAuthor. Children of the Night, join me for Riley O'Dell's The Tooth Fairy, a Tales to Terrify original. Head resting on my pillow, I stare at the popcorn ceiling, wishing for the courage to end it all. The knife is in my hand. One slash and it will be over. But I can't. In the rugged texture, I see patterns, shapes. Ordinarily, there's diversity to the images. Today, I see only fists. A fusillade of fists firing down, joined by a chorus of voices. Faggot, faggot, you're so gay. Take your AIDS and go away. I thought Nick liked me the way I liked him. Come prom time, I made a banner, decked it out with hand-drawn art. I had my friends help me carry it into the lunchroom so we could show it to him. In big red letters, it said, Nick. Prom? Nick took one look at it and laughed. Some others in the room joined him and later in the alley behind the field. Faggot, faggot, you're so gay. Take your AIDS and go away. Nick and his friends beat me black and blue. One punch to the jaw hit so hard it knocked a tooth loose. It scattered on the concrete like a coin, and I put it in my pocket. It's under my pillow now. Mom always said if you lose a tooth and put it under your pillow, the tooth fairy will bring you something good. It's nonsense, but it's comforting. Faggot, faggot, you're so gay. Take your AIDS and go away. The fists are gone. Now the bumps on the ceiling look like teeth, thousands of teeth coming to chew me up and spit me out like the worthless trash I am. I blink and look again. The ceiling is descending. A shivering, rattling mass of teeth is forming. It grows a pair of arms, then fingers, then legs. And then the whole thing 
breaks free, dropping with a thud to the side of the bed. There's a stench that arrives with it like halitosis. I raise the knife in my shaking hand, ready to defend myself. I thought my ability to feel fear had been punched right out of me. I'd been wrong. But the intruder shakes its head. No. Its voice is like dry leaves rustling in the wind. No. It gestures to my pillow with a canine pointed finger. At first, I don't get what the thing is trying to say. Then I remember the tooth. I take it out and hand it over. Make a wish, the thing says. Kill me. The words are on the tip of my tongue, but they won't come out. A different idea begins to form. I smile. I make sure Nick knows I'm headed for the alley after school. Sure enough, he and his two goons meet me there. Look at the smile on this faggot's face. Guess he likes being fisted, Nick says. Big surprise. He steps toward me, fist clenched, and rears his arm back. A hand made of teeth emerges from the ground and grabs his ankle. What the fuck, he starts to say. He doesn't finish. He screams. More teeth emerge, swarming up his leg and over him. He screams and screams. The teeth are eating him. Blood is everywhere. His friends run. They don't get far. The alley floor is a bed of chattering teeth. The morons trip, fall, and their screams join the screams of their leader. And I keep on smiling. That was Riley O'Dell's The Tooth Fairy, as read by Andrew Gibson. Andrew was pulled feet first from the swamps of South Louisiana, kicking and screaming, and he remains mostly as such to this day. You can find his work on Audible under Andrew Gibson, or for the more romantically inclined, Blake Lockhart. You can also catch him streaming his recording sessions live in The Narrator's Nook and the Haven Discord servers, links to which you can find in the show notes. Thank you, Andrew. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Hello, I'm Dave Moore. And I'm Neil Delamere. And we want to let you know season three of our podcast, Why Would You Tell Me That, is out now. Each week, one of us introduces some unusual facts and with the help of a genuine expert, we explain why they are so intriguing to us. It could be about anything like how you shower in the coldest town on earth. How would a 900-year-old ATM work? And can Formula One save the planet? We just have to justify one thing. Why would you tell me that? Why would you tell me that? Every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast... 
I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Our second tale tonight comes from J. Ashley Smith. J. Ashley Smith is a British-Australian writer of dark speculative fiction. His short stories have twice won national competitions and been shortlisted seven times for Aurealis Awards, winning both Best Horror in 2017 and Best Fantasy in 2018. His first book, The Attic Tragedy, was released by Meerkat Press in June 2020, and has since been shortlisted for an Aurealis Award, an Australian Shadows Award, and a Shirley Jackson Award. His second release, Ariadne I Love You, is available now from Meerkat Press. Jay gathers moth dust in the suburbs of North Canberra, tormented by the desolation of telegraph wires. Listen with me, children of the night, to J. Ashley Smith's The Moth Tapes, first published in Aurealis Magazine number 117, February 2019. So, here we are, little one, our new home sweet home. Not that I've fixed up your bedroom yet, but there's still time. And it'll be lovely, Noodle, I promise. We'll go down to the shop tomorrow and look at colors. I'll paint you a mural, get one of those things that dangles over your bed. When you look out your window... You'll see the garden and the trees and the mountain behind. When you're big, you can walk out the back gate and spend all day up there. Among the shinglebacks and ruse and galahs. I'll blow a whistle when dinner's ready and you'll come running back. I found something out there today. Out near the back gate where the veggie patch will go. It was poking out of the dirt, and at first I thought it was a loose cable or something. When I looked closer, though, it wasn't anything like that. It took a bit of wiggling to get it out of the ground, but I'm glad I made the effort because it's just so unusual. I'll put it somewhere safe for when you're older. You can keep it in a box with all your other treasures. A sort of hollow leather cigar, all plump and shiny and rippled. The ends torn like something burst out from inside, and I guess that's exactly what happened. Perhaps it's some kind of cocoon, but of what, though? I have no idea. I was going to start unpacking today, 
had such a grand plan. I wanted books on the shelves and plates in the cupboard and quiet hours sorting through all that baby stuff we were given. At the very least, I wanted a cup of tea and to change out of these clothes I've been in since we got back. So I went down to the basement to bring up the first of the boxes. Would you call it a basement? It's a funny sort of room under the house. You can only get to through the carport. A kind of brick box, only full of holes peeking through to the foundation, to heaps of rubble in the slope of the earth the house is built on. It's dingy as a cave. The only light's this fluorescent thing balanced on a shelf that takes forever to pop on and seems to cast more shadow than light. The basement's where we stored everything, all our belongings, before we went away. The door was swollen shut and I had to yank it so hard I almost broke the key. When I dragged it open, water sloshed onto the drive. The basement is flooded, Noodle. There's stinky black water everywhere, and all our stuff is ruined. The plumber says it's groundwater, whatever that means. His name is David. He's tall and quiet and thoughtful, and reminds me of my dad. I liked him right away, how awkward he was and how capable. I was afraid that a pipe had burst and we were going to have to pay through the roof to get it fixed. But David said it wasn't a pipe. He stood a long time at the basement door, looking down at the mess. Then he clomped around outside of the house in his work boots, stood for a while in the middle of the garden, staring up at the mountain. He said there's nothing to be done about it. Something about the water table in the mountain. About water under the ground. Flowing down the mountain and into our basement. He said the best we can do is to keep the door open until it all dries out. And not to worry. He said there won't be another rain like that for years. I wanted to make us both a cup of tea but I didn't know where to find the kettle or the cups or the tea bags, and I wasn't ready to go back down into the basement to start pulling everything out. All those sodden boxes and the stream of black water running down the driveway. I'm tired, Noodle, and achy. I've not slept well. It's not that I'm blaming you, though it is sort of your fault. All my life, I've slept on my front, right up until I started to show. Then I got worried I might squish you, even though I wouldn't have. And now you're really sticking out, all pokey and bony. Before we moved, I had so many pillows, 
I could make a sort of nest with you in the middle. I'd lay on one side with my legs stuck out, and I slept so well, it was like heaven. I'd do that here too. Only our sheets and all our pillows are under the house, soaking in black water. The best we can do is a bare mattress, with an open sleeping bag and a pair of jeans rolled up under my head. I have to lay all twisted, and it's so uncomfortable. And to top it off, I had bad dreams last night. Well, a sort of dream. It was one of those where you don't know if you're awake or asleep, and everything seems so real, like it's happening right there in the room. There were noises coming from the cupboard, like an old boiler, whirring and fizzing and hissing, only softly and all at once. A kind of white noise that lived in the cupboard. I felt so scared, Noodle. There was a weight on my chest, so I couldn't move. And the noise in the cupboard was getting louder, and in it I could hear voices far away. Children's voices. The noise was like a tunnel behind the cupboard door. And the voices echoed off the walls. Got to sort out the basement today. Get out those boxes. Get everything dry. I hope the pillows are all right. It's worse than I thought, Noodle. So much worse. The water's got into everything. Pretty well all the boxes are soaked. Only the ones up at the far end are dry, and even they have that smell. I dragged them all out into the carport. The ones by the door were the worst. Racks of collapsing, rotten cardboard, the sides falling away like molten wax. The first one I picked up, the bottom fell out and all my clothes tumbled into the filthy water. I just stood there, staring down at that heap of clothes in the dirty puddle. It's like I'd sloughed some part of myself, some old dead skin that would never fit me again. But I kept going, dropping boxes in heaps on the carport, all burst and spilling their contents. Swollen books, moldy sheets and pillows and towels, all my favorite clothes. I carried everything up and round to the back lawn and laid it all out like some ghoulish yard sale. It took forever, Noodle, draping the hill's hoist with our stinking things, my heart heavy with all that ruin and waste, then down again to slosh through that horrid pool. I tried to clean it up, once the worst of the boxes were out, first with a mop, soaking up the black water and squeezing it into a bucket outside the basement door. But there was too much, and I mopped and mopped, and it it didn't go down a bit. So I tried it with a broom, 
I swept and swept, and out it poured in rank black sheets, black waterfall sloshing over the basement step, a black river flowing down the driveway and into the gutter. I thought I was all done. But when I stepped back in, the floor tiles sunk under me with a sucking noise, and water gushed up from underground, rank and gritty and black. It squirted out and soaked my feet, and something about the way it came out like that felt all wrong. It made me have to not be there anymore. I had to be out, away from the shadows and water and that smell of moisture and invisible life, to be dry and warm and feel the sun on my skin. That's why my only clothes are out on the line, and I'm stretched on the couch in my birthday suit. I'm starving, but there's nothing in the fridge. Nothing good, anyway. I think first a little nap, and then... A good drying day. That's the sort of thing I say now. I'm a suburban housewife. It's only been a few hours, and everything's crisp as cardboard. For all the good it does. Apart from the clothes I came in, everything's moldy and covered in spotty black stains. I should just put them all in the bin and start again. It's not like any of them fit me now anyway. It's got me so down. I've left everything out there just as it is. The backyard looks deranged with its patchwork of shapes and colors. Which reminds me, we forgot to go and look at colors for your room. I'm still going to paint you that mural, I promise. We've just been so tied up with this flood business. I haven't had time to go and get food even. We'll go tomorrow. Definitely tomorrow. It's so sad, Noodle. Life is so fragile and fleeting, without pity for small things. We went out the back gate today, finally. I could feel you turning over and over as I walked, getting your own kind of exercise. It's so beautiful out there. I can't believe we've been moved in almost a week and not been out back. From now on, we'll go every day. I've told you about the mountain noodle, how you can see it when you look out the kitchen window or from the garden, how it looms dark and impressive, a giant hump-backed creature bristling with its pelt of distant trees. There's a dirt path that runs along the bottom and smaller paths leading up, away from the suburbs and into the shade of the rattling gums, up to where the water runs beneath the ground, down into our basement. We came out here once before, remember? The day we bought the house. It was so dry then. A cold day, but sunny and bright and everything brown and brittle. You would have been tiny then, no bigger than a peach. We came to view the house, and I walked out the back gate, followed the path with 
one hand on my belly, on the tiny bump that was all that showed then of you. I was so excited. I let you talk me into making an offer in the house, right then and there. I remember we saw a mob of ruse resting in the shade, the color of the trees, of the parched grass. Today, though, it was nothing like that. It could have been a different country. The wasteland of grass beyond the gate was a boggy and waterlogged, the path half washed away by a creek where before there had been no creek. I remembered, from that other time, a wombat trail curling up into the bush, a groove of dust that twisted between tree roots. Today, that little track was a meter wide and flowed with water the color of milky tea. We followed it upwards, you and me, into the dappled wood and the cicadas and the creaking of gangangs. It all seemed so lush, so alive. Young shoots sprouted from every tree. Among the clatter of brown and gray, newborn leaves burst red and green. And the grass, so thick it was everywhere, in the moist earth by the creek, I found more of those leathery cocoons, too many to count, erupting from the ground like fungus. The trees thinned, then sputtered out beside a gravel service track draped with power lines. Above the mountain was a beacon of leaf and shadow urging me upwards, daring me to follow the creek to its source. But I was getting tired then and hungry. You were heavy in me, and my legs were aching, my pelvis sore. I just wanted to be home. The power lines swayed above the track, suspended from repurposed eucalypts, parched and gray. I rested beneath one, leaned against the warm, cracked wood, straining to hear the hum of electricity in the wires. Something twitched beside me, and I started. But it was only a moth. It looked sick. Its wings trembled. It looked like it was dying. I cupped my hands around the moth and felt it between my palms, like the flutter of a tiny heart, then held it close until it clung weakly to my jumper. We walked home like that with me talking to it all the way, trying to soothe it, I suppose, or keep it company, or something. I'm not sure what I plan to do with it, take it inside, nurse it back to health, keep it as a pet. I wasn't really thinking, I just wanted to make it better. But by the time we got back, the moth was dead. I didn't know what else to do, so I emptied out a matchbox and put the body inside. It's up on the kitchen worktop now, next to the cocoon. It's so sad, Noodle. It's always the smallest things. I had that dream again, of the children in the cupboard. It started the same, 
with that same eerie sound coming from the whole ground, from deep, deep in the darkness of the cupboard. I heard it, but I felt it too, in my body, in you, Noodle. I felt you inside me like a vibration, a kind of liquid darkness. There was also the sound. Then I was inside. We were inside. Only it wasn't a cupboard at all, but a tunnel deep in the mountain. It was wet in the tunnel and not a bit cold. At first, the water was up to my ankles. Then it came up to my calves and I knew we had to go further, that I'd only find what I was looking for at the mountain's deepest part. With each step down, the water came higher, to my knees, to my thighs. And it was warm, Noodle, so deliciously warm. It almost wasn't there. Wasn't water at all, but a kind of holding. It was holding me. And then it was up to my belly, and it was holding you, too. The strangest thing about this dream, Noodle, was that I wasn't a bit scared. I knew I should be, knew it was wrong to go down into that place in the cupboard, into the tunnel beneath the mountain. But I wasn't frightened. I wanted to go down. When the water was up to my boobs, I turned and looked back up the tunnel. Hanging above me in the darkness was a disk of light, a silvery full moon. And in and out of that light, Tiny bodies fluttered. Above the low rumble, I could hear the patter of delicate wings. And all about me, whispers like voices of children. The dark was spangled with silvery dust. There's something wrong with the house, Noodle. The water, it's... When I made my tea this morning, put the kettle back down on the hob, black water oozed from under the glass. In the kitchen's not the worst. In the bathroom, the water is backing up the plug hole in the sink, in the bath. Black puddles, and they're rising. The water is pushing up the pipes. I went to the toilet, but it wouldn't flush. It was like there was nothing in the tank. When I pressed the lever, the bath bubbled. I called David and left a message, but he hasn't called back. I don't know what to do. I was afraid to think what might be happening in the basement, but I made myself go down there, and it's worse than ever. The floor is completely submerged, and the back wall is dark and wet. There's a dirty tide mark up near the ceiling where the walls have soaked up all the water from the ground. And the more the walls suck up, the more there is. It's streaming down the basement step, a little river running through the carport down the driveway. It makes me feel sick, Noodle, sick to my stomach. I feel like the house is going to collapse around us and there's nothing I can do about it. I tried to get some work done tonight. I thought it might distract me to focus on something else for a while. Something I can control. 
I was on the couch with the pad up on my knees, working on a piece I should have finished weeks ago. It felt good to be drawing again, but I couldn't concentrate. I was worrying about the house, and you were kicking like Billy-O. I must have restarted that sketch a hundred times. Then there was a thump on the patio doors. We don't have curtains on them yet or anything. So the lounge and dining room is all one big wall of glass with the sliding doors out to the garden. At night it feels so exposed, like all the light and warmth in the room gets sucked out through those black glass sheets. I put down the pad, stood by the doors, and peered into the darkness. There was another thump, then a sort of muffled thrashing, and I saw, over by the standing lamp, a huge moth beating itself against the glass. It looked enormous, the size of my hand, but that might have been a trick of the light. The glass, where the moth had struck, was dusted with silver. I think I must have laughed. It wasn't the moth, but relief that it was only a moth. I don't know what I'd imagined, but the thump, that exposed feeling, it frightened me. The house feels so unwelcoming, the spreading damp, so hostile, that the thump on the glass was like something inevitable, something I'd been expecting and dreading all at the same time. Then to find out it was only a moth. I turned back to the couch and the sketch I couldn't finish and was about to sit down when there was another thump, then another, and another, then a pounding on the glass like muffled rain. I ran, out of the room, away from the wall of windows and the high, echoing ceiling, away from the pounding of bodies against the glass, the fluttering of delicately patterned wings, away from the shower of dust that danced as it fell, copper and silver and gold, ran up into the closed and quiet darkness of the bedroom. Before I reached the stairs, I turned once and saw the window, a writhing curtain lit starkly and askew by the corner lamp a tapestry of artificial eyes that twitched and blinked with every wingbeat. I couldn't see the garden, only the madly thrashing wall of moths. Now I'm huddled in the darkness of the bedroom, wrapped in the sleeping bag, curled around you. The room is cold and moist, the sleeping bag clammy, the air smells of damp. And the moths are still beating on the glass downstairs. I slept terribly again last night, haunted by the moon and its jagged beams. You were wriggling like mad, doing flip-flops in my belly, and my pelvis ached so badly I thought it would split. And the moths, all night, the sound of the moths. There is a dream, too. Something so terrible it woke me with a gasp, though I don't remember it now. When I came down in the morning, 
looked out onto the patio doors at the fence and the hedge and the lawn, at the mosaic of sodden books and clothes. When I pressed my hands against the door's cool glass and looked down, I saw in heaps and drifts the bodies of the moths. I thought I noticed here and there a fluttering wing, a trembling body. But nothing was alive in those terrible dunes. It could only have been the wind. I couldn't bear it. It was so futile, so pathetic. I felt I just had to do something, find some way to honor them, so it wouldn't all be for nothing. But first I had to eat to make myself a cup of tea. And the moment I stepped into the kitchen, there was the slick of black water stretching wall to wall. I called David and got through this time, but he was out of town and said he couldn't come until tomorrow. I tried to mop it up myself, but only managed to swill it round and around, spreading the pool wider. Now it's spilled from the linoleum onto the polished wood floor and is spreading into the lounge. The bath upstairs is half full of bubbling black water and the toilet keeps hacking and gurgling. The stains, Noodle. The stains. Everywhere they are growing darker. Everywhere the flood mark is higher. The walls are glistening and wet and blooming with mold, gray and brown and black. In amongst the fungal coils, I imagine I can see almost a pattern a fractal motif that is sometimes like an eye, sometimes like a leaf or perhaps feathers, but everywhere repeated and everywhere the same, almost like, (laughs) but that would be absurd. I remembered my dream. It's so awful. I can barely bring myself to speak it. I was cramping, and there was blood, and the pain was so bad, I knew it was happening, that you were coming out of me. You were coming too soon, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. And when I reached down between my legs to pull you up to me, to lay you against my breast for the first time, You weren't you. You were... You were... They're back, Noodle. Can you hear them? Can you? Hear their wings, like whispering silk? The drumming of their bodies on the glass? Oh, you are active tonight. I know you can hear. Shall we go down and meet them? Shall we? There are so many, even this close to the glass, and there are so many and crowded so tight. Their bellies aglow in the lamplight, their wings a blur in clouds of silvery dust. Even this close, I can't see through them. It's like there's no world outside, like there is nothing beyond this murmuring wall. 
Nothing but them, Noodle. And us. Don't kick so. I know what you're wanting. See? I'm pressing my hand to the glass. See how they react. When I move my hand, see how they ripple. See how they respond. You knew, didn't you? How they mean us no harm. You knew they only wish us well. And I know what you're wanting. I'm going to let them in. I'm... Still here, Noodle. Still here. It's all okay. Everything's going to be okay. When I dragged at the door, the moths poured in. They were louder inside. As the moths streamed through the crack, those muffled bumps and whispers behind the glass became a flickering, everywhere purr. I never knew there could be so many. When they came in like that, swirling and coiling like a whirlwind, I ran up here to the bedroom, but they followed, thrashing and spiraling, filling the air with wing beats and dust. But now here we are, my darling, my little one. Here we all are. They've settled now, and I have too. Can you feel them, Noodle? Feel their touch through my skin. It makes me shiver, so I know you feel it too. Their touch is so gentle, so kind. I want it all over me. Now they swaddle me, trembling, so soft, so gently warm. I've never felt so held. But there is a pull, isn't there? I know you feel it too. An inclination. The moths have come with a message. But they speak so quietly I can barely hear. But you can, can't you, Noodle? You know what they're telling us to do, where they're wanting us to go. Be still, they say, still unto the dawn. They are getting weak. I can feel them quiver against my skin. Some of the moths who clung to the walls have already dropped and are dusting the floor with their bodies. It will have to be soon. You're more active than ever, though, aren't you, Noodle? You've been pressing against me all night, jabbing your feet into my ribs like you're ready to be born. Not yet, little one. Not for a long while yet. But something will happen this morning, and I know you feel it too. Dawn, the moths whisper. Dawn. Dawn. And they're right. The condensation on the window glistens with gray half-light. It's time for us to go. All night, I felt that subtle pull. I know where you want me to take you. But when I opened the door to the bedroom cupboard, with all those shivering moths clung like an overcoat to my nakedness, there's nothing there but shadows and mold. 
it's just an empty cupboard. Up, whisper the moths. Up, up. Through the window, through the baubles of dew, the shadow of the mountain. That's right, isn't it, Noodle? You kicked as soon as I saw it. As soon as I knew. Yes. The moths against me flutter. Yes. Yes. Then that is where we shall go. Up. Up among the gums that rattle their leaves like tiny bones. Up beside the trumbling creek, the murky flow that will not be there tomorrow. Up until we find the source. The way down into the belly of the mountain. All the way, our sisters will dance about us in shimmering clouds, leading, tugging, drawing us ever up. Even as they drop from exhaustion and cold and the sacrifice they have made to bring us home. And when we find the opening, then we shall descend into those blood-warm waters, the moist tunnel walls glistening with the dawn we are leaving behind. And perhaps we shall turn, Noodle. Take one last look at that floating disk of light above us. Not the moon. No, not the silvery moon. But our last glimpse of the cold and separate daylight world. We shall descend, my darling. My little one. My hands under my belly, holding you. As we are held by that everywhere warmth by that loving dark. And in the darkness, we shall become. Request received. 20-09-2009 Classification. Protected. Subject. Maria Galen. Disappearance of. Also, Galen M. Moth Queen. In response to your request for a check of the files of this division concerning the captioned individual, you are advised that no investigation has been conducted since December 1998, at which time the case was shelved pending further evidence. The Collection Agency's 1995 report is too far redacted to be of value though you may find some interest in the attached photographs. These were captured in situ by the reporting agent assigned to Ms. Galen when her loan defaulted, following an extended period, some nine months, of delinquency. The more notable images you may remember from the coverage of the time. The infamous stain wall, for instance, that expanse of mold in which the more credulous speculators perceive the form of a giant moth. Other shots are less well-known and verify at least some of Galen's recorded claims. The marks on the driveway, the rhyme of soot in the sinks and bath, the husks in the lounge in the bedroom of several hundred agrotus infusa, bogong moths. The testimony of David Pembleton, Galen's plumber, may yield further corroboration, though most of his statements have since been discredited. 
Many seem to be simple hallucinations inspired by press coverage of the events, and his tenuous association with the missing woman. Access to the transcript will require additional clearance, however, as the interviews were conducted in the psychiatric hospital where he was later sectioned. You will find enclosed herewith, transcribed in its entirety, one copy of Maria Galen's audio journal, the three dictaphone cassettes found in the bedroom by the reporting agent. Some 34 additional cassettes were also found amongst the garden debris, but all were from an earlier period and not pertinent to the investigation. The photographs and transcript summarize the full extent of the information in our files concerning the captioned individual as of that time. Enclosures Photographs 27 MLG number 101 to 127 Unexpurgated transcript The Moth Tapes That was J. Ashley Smith's The Moth Tapes, as read by Josie Babin. Living in that formerly abandoned house on the corner, the one across the street from the cemetery, the one with all those cats lounging about, you will find Josie, happily narrating horror stories. No one has seen her human companion lately, but the cats do look well-fed. Not that those things have anything to do with one another. In between stories, she works on a long list of house projects and car projects. But best of all, she gets to work on lab projects, growing cells into medicine, hopefully making the world a little healthier in the not-so-far-off future. If you're ever in San Diego, stop by to say hi. She'll introduce you to her cats. Thank you, Josie. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal, incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch 
TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we invite the beast in with more Tales to Terrify. Tales to Terrify